We are in Matthew chapter 3. A little recap. In the last episode, we covered verses 1 and 2. And those state, Now in those days John the Baptist came preaching in the wilderness of Judea, saying, Repent, for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Starting in chapter 3, For this is the one referred to by Isaiah the prophet, when he said, The voice of one crying out in the wilderness, Make ready the way of the Lord, make his paths straight. This particular passage refers to Isaiah chapter 40, verse 3. I'm going to start in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem and proclaim to her that her forced labor has been completed, her iniquity has been pardoned, for she has received from the hand of the Lord double for all her sins. Um, What this is referring to And the people knew that when Matthew wrote about John the Baptist that this verse, Isaiah 43, was referring to him. The people knew the entire passage. They understood what the passage said. And so they knew that before... The sentence in verse 3 came the statement in verse 2. Speak tenderly to Jerusalem. Proclaim to her that her forced labor has been completed. They knew that that meant that the time of God's silence against them for killing all of his prophets, for turning their back on him, was over. And that they had paid the price of doing what they did, of rejecting God, and that they were being given another chance. Now, the next, within that statement, uh, her iniquity has been pardoned, for she has received uh, from the hand of the Lord double all of her sins. Her forced labor has been completed. They think... What they are expecting still, because this is what they have been told over the past 400 years, that when the Messiah comes, he will come as a mighty king, as a learned scholar, as somebody from one of the high families, and he is going to organize the people of Israel in revolt against their physical oppressors, and that he is going to take his seat on the throne of David and rule over the entire world. And then they're going to get theirs. They're going to get their revenge over all those people who've been so crummy to them over the years, and they are going to show all those people what it means to be ruled over by the chosen people of God. That is what they are thinking. That's what they are expecting. A voice of one calling, prepare the way for the Lord in the wilderness. This is verse 3 of Isaiah 40. Uh, A voice of one calling, prepare the way of the Lord in the wilderness. Make a straight highway for our God in the desert. 
this image invokes. And at the time of Matthew was still the case, and even today is still the case, when a, uh, when a high dignitary, such as a president, such as a king, is about to come to a, an area, a place, he is preceded by a herald. And this individual comes and he says, this area, this city, this town needs to be prepared for the coming of whatever dignitary it happens to be. In those times, of course, they had the Roman emperor, but there were also other kings around in other countries and so forth, other dignitaries uh, that may indeed show up. And a herald was expected to, uh, to, to prepare the way. Even today, for the president of the United States, when the president is going somewhere before he goes there, there is an, a, 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 uh, an element of secret service and other personnel that uh, go before him, say he's going to visit Japan, uh, they go before him to Japan, and they make sure that the place that he is staying is secure. They make sure that all of the press that he is going to be speaking to are prepared. They make sure that the uh, foreign, uh, the dignitaries of that particular country are prepared to receive him. Um, that where he is going to dine, the food that he is going to eat, all of this stuff is done by this uh, forward element that still happens today. And in those days, when a, uh, when a herald came before his uh, lord, the way that the herald was presented, the way that the herald presented himself, was an indication of how important the dignitary was. If the herald was dressed in uh, fine clothes and rode, uh, you know, a horse or a camel or, you know, and had, you know, a bunch of people with him that were equally well-dressed or had servants himself that, that took care of him, the more that he had, the bigger pomp and circumstance that came with him, the, the bigger the dignitary that was coming behind him. And that's why John, as we will see, presented quite a conundrum to the political and spiritual Jewish leaders of the time. Now let's get into verse 4 of Isaiah 40 just to cover something really quick. Every valley shall be filled up, and every mountain and hill made low. The uneven ground will become smooth, and the rugged land a plain. Again, the concept here is a metaphor, and most people hearing this would think uh, that they are making the road, the incoming road, easy for whoever that dignitary was. And in a way, that's kind of the case, but 
what this is really referring to is spirituality. It's not just a metaphor for making things physically easy for the, for the king. It is spirituality. It is what the king is going to do. Every valley shall be filled up. Everybody, uh, blessed are those who are poor in spirit. That's what it's talking about. Those people who consider themselves to be lowly, those people who consider themselves to be sinners, those people who have a low spiritual opinion of themselves will be lifted up on an even plane with all of the mountains and hills who consider themselves to be superior to everybody else. I am rich I am a member of a high spiritual class. I am a member of the teachers, the rabbis. I have long tassels on my cloak. Everybody can see me. Everybody can see what I do. I pray out in the square so that everybody can see what a holy and wonderful person I am. I tithe many, many shekels to the church, to the temple, etc. Everybody knows who I am. Those people who have such a high opinion of themselves will be made low and brought even with the people who were brought up. Notice, they will not be brought below. It's all being smoothed out. And the uneven ground will become smooth and rugged land, a plain. Everybody's sins, all of their sins, all of the rotten things that they are doing are going to be smoothed out and straightened out. That's what this reference, uh, that's what uh, this prophecy was referencing, and the people of Israel knew that. Back to Matthew chapter 3, verse 4. Now John himself had a garment of camel's hair and a leather belt around his waist, and his food was locusts and honey, wild honey. Now this was, again, this was very confusing, especially to the Pharisees and Sadducees, who we will see later came out to see him. Because a herald who was coming forth to talk about how the king was coming was expected to be uh, lower, certainly, than the king who was coming. But since it was indeed a king, this individual was also expected to, you know, dress at least halfway decent. You know, they were expecting somebody from the Pharisee or Sadducee class. Mostly they were expecting Pharisees. And they, but they were expecting somebody of a high family, a wealthy family, somebody who had a reputation, and um, certainly somebody from the family of David that could trace his lineage back to David, either directly or legally, in this case, as in Jesus' case, legally, he could trace his 
lineage back to David. And that that's what they were they were expecting. Well, but this this herald is this guy is dressed like one of the ancient prophets. He he dresses in 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 animal skin and has a leather belt wrapped around his his waist. And he doesn't eat fine food. He doesn't have any servants of his own to prepare food for him. He gets his own food, and he eats the very lowest of food possible that anybody could eat, the, the poorest of the poor, the, the homeless, basically. This dude is a homeless dude. And he's walking around, not through the city streets of Jerusalem, making this announcement. He didn't show up at the temple. He didn't make an appointment with the Sanhedrin to announce to them that this king was coming. Instead, he's out in the wilderness, a homeless guy, and the people he's receiving and the people who are receiving his message are the poor people and the average folks, the sinners. And that just didn't make any sense. That doesn't fit with the, what we understand is going to be the case for, for the Messiah. But still, this guy was attracting a lot of people. Now, one of the reasons he was attracting a lot of people was, well, this is interesting. You got this homeless guy walking around, shouting out to everybody, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. This is definitely something worth seeing. You know, it's a, it's a, it's a boring day and we got nothing better to do. Let's go out and check out who this guy is. Then you've got the, you know, everybody has in mind that a Messiah is going to come at this particular time per Daniel Per Daniel's prophecies, they were expecting a Messiah at this time. And given the uh, iron fist under which they were living, you know, they really expect this would be the perfect time for a Messiah to show up and rescue us from these rotten Romans who are treating us really badly. So, you know, th th some of them were like, hey, maybe this is it. Maybe this is the guy. So let's go out and check out what he has to say. And then there were those people who heard his message and the, the people, the valleys that, that were referred to in Isaiah 40, the people who felt that they were lowly. And this was their opportunity to become at least even with everybody else. People who understood where they stood spiritually with regards to God, in contrast to God himself, which is where we all stand in contrast to God. God is perfect. God has no ego. He has no greed. He has nothing to feel guilty about. Every decision he makes is correct Every judgment he makes is just. So God is not like humans. 
He is not like us. He is perfect. I've made this analogy multiple times, and here I am going to make it again. When we are in surgery, we have a sterile field. Everything on the sterile field has to be sterile. Such that when we use it inside the patient, it does not cause an infection. Now, we swab the decks of the ORs with a chemical that not only kills germs on contact, but continues to kill germs for a solid eight hours afterwards. But if we drop an instrument from the sterile field onto the deck, there's no such thing as a five-second rule. We don't pick it back up and think, well, it's clean enough. No, it is considered unsterile. It is considered dirty and cannot go back on the sterile field. This is the way it is with God. So see, if that instrument lands on the deck that was just swabbed with a germ-killing chemical, or if somebody brings in a spoon from their house that their five-year-old has slobbered all over and then used to dig up the garden in the backyard, neither one of those instruments is going to make it back on the sterile field. It doesn't matter if one is more clean than the other. It doesn't matter. What matters is, are they sterile? The answer, in both cases, is no. This is how it is when you compare us to God. God is perfect. He is pure. He is pure goodness. He is pure love. And he is pure justice. That last part, people have a lot of problem with. As a matter of fact, that's the part that most people have a problem with, is the justice part. But we'll get into that later. So the question is, are you perfect or are you not? If the answer is no, then you are not worthy. Well, I'm better than that guy, but it doesn't matter. That guy, and everybody for some reason always compares themselves to Hitler, you know, when it comes to you know, the most evil person out of, oh, Hitler and stuff like that. Forget, you know, Hitler. Oh, he killed six million people. Yeah. Stalin killed 60 million. Nobody says Stalin. Nobody talks about Mao. Just saying. There are a lot more evil people on the planet than Hitler. If if you're just comparing uh, resumes of evil. But still, I digress. It doesn't matter if you're not Hitler. It doesn't matter if you go to church. It doesn't matter if you do all of those, uh, those things in your church that you have to do, the, the traditions that you have to keep up with. You, uh, and, I, and, and I don't want to pick on uh, any particular organization, but uh, one is known for this more than any other, and that's the Roman Catholic Church. Uh, taking communion is not saving you. Okay? Getting baptized does not save you. Getting dedicated does not save you. Doing nothing that you do saves you. 
Nothing that you do saves you. You cannot do anything to be saved. Period. End of sentence. It is not by works that we are saved. It is not by works that we are saved. Because works can be faked. Which is one of the things that Christ really railed against. Especially when it comes to the Pharisees. He was was banging on the Pharisees all the time. Because they can fake their good works. It's not good works that get you into heaven. And rich people can fake good works easier than poor people. So that's not really a good uh, standard by which to measure people because some people are better at it than others. It's not fair. The fair standard is actually, are you perfect or are you not? And then... The follow-up is, are you repentant or are you not? We're going to get into that in a second. Verse 5 of Matthew 3, Then Jerusalem was going out to him, and all Judea and all the district around the Jordan, and they were being baptized by him in the Jordan River as they confessed their sins. Okay, that was verses 5 and 6. All of Jerusalem was coming out to see this guy eventually. It didn't take long. Everybody's expecting a Messiah. Then this dude shows up and he's talking about repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Oh, the kingdom of heaven. That's the Messiah. Our kingdom is going to begin any minute and we want to be part of it. Let's go out and check this out. But he's talking about repentance repenting from your sins. And they confessed their sins. The words here, the Greek terminology used for confessed, means it was an outward, public confession. Acknowledging personal sins. And it was a continuous process. This brings to mind the various 12-step programs that are out there. And one of the things that one has to do in a 12-step program is to continuously take a moral inventory of one's life. Honestly, taking a moral inventory of one's life and acknowledging publicly, in front of your peers, who are also fellow alcoholics or addicts or whatever it happens to be, that you have these failings. And it, it, it isn't just limited to whatever that particular addiction is. Because when you get rid of one addiction, you will be looking for another one. You see, we are wired to worship, and addiction is a form of worship. And if you're not worshiping the one true God, then you're worshiping something else. Be it yourself, be it money, be it drugs, be it alcohol, be it sex, whatever. You are going to be going through a process of worship. 
for something or someone. And if it is not God, it will be something that will let you down every single time. It will be something that is imperfect, that you are worshiping. Something else that was being referred to in these, uh, in this prophecy was Isaiah. A, a couple of passages in Isaiah. Isaiah 40, 18. He's talking about uh, the building of idols. To whom then will you liken God or what likeness will you compare him? As for the idol, a craftsman casts it, a goldsmith plates it with gold, and a silversmith fashions chains of silver. He who is too impoverished for such an offering selects a tree that does not rot. He seeks out for himself a skillful craftsman to prepare an idol that will not totter. Do you not know? Have you not heard? Has it not been declared to you from the beginning? Have you not understood from the foundations of the earth? It is he, capital H, God, who sits above the circle of the earth, and its inhabitants are like grasshoppers, who stretches out the heavens like a curtain, and who spreads them out like a tent to dwell in. Also Isaiah 41, 7. The metal worker encourages the goldsmith, and the one who smooths with the hammer spurs on the one who strikes the anvil. The one says of the welding, it is good. The other nails down the idol so it will not topple. These are people who are worshiping something other than the Creator God. And the irony here is that they are creating their God. They are fashioning their God into a likeness that is comfortable for them, that will not judge them. As a matter of fact, they are creating a God basically in their own image that encourages their particular form of worship that they want to do, and that is ultimately sinful because it is in worship of a false god. Isaiah 44, 9, those who fashion a graven image are all of them futile, and their precious things are of no profit. Even their own witnesses fail to see or know, so that they will be put to shame. Who has fashioned a god, little g, or cast an idol, to no profit. Behold, all his comparisons will be put to shame, or I'm sorry, all his companions will be put to shame, for the craftsmen themselves are mere men. Let them all assemble themselves, let them stand up, let them tremble, let them together be put to shame. You see, the, the person who, who goes to the idol maker thinks of the idol maker, oh, he is going to make a wonderful God for me. 
he is going to make, but the idol maker themselves are just men. So even if you, you don't make it yourself, if you don't fashion your own God, I'll have somebody fashion it for me, a professional God maker. I'll go to God's R Us just down the street. Yeah, I've heard they've got really good prices on gods. Even the God's R Us guys are human. And the whole point, the valleys being raised up and the mountains being brought low, all on the same level, everything's going to be made smooth. All on the same level. We are all on the same level. All of us. Because we have all of us fallen short of the glory of God. They confessed their sins. This goes counter, ladies and gentlemen, to the false God that is being foisted upon us today by our current culture. It's still the same idea, the same idea that was being pushed back then. It's just a different package. I've said this multiple times about, um, about cults, about um, false political movements uh, that are actually cults, forms of worship. They just worship the state like communism. They have to change their name. They have to rebrand constantly because eventually their evil gets exposed and they have to fall back and rebrand. Nothing different here. From the time of John the Baptist to today, there is no difference between what was going on then and what is going on now. The false God that is being pushed now, like I talked about in a previous podcast post, how the LGBTQ, uh, LMNOP, EIEIO, MOUSE uh, group, the pride movement, is trying to sell a Jesus who did not exist a Jesus who is accepting, inclusive of diversity, tolerant, none of those things, none of those things, none of those words will you find associated with Christ or God anywhere in the Bible ever. You're not going to find them. Doesn't exist. Why? Because if there is such a thing as perfection, if there is such a thing as objective right, if there is such a thing as objective truth, then there is such a thing as wrong. There is such a thing as wrong. And if you are doing wrong, if you are outside of that reality, if you are living your life outside of that reality, counter to that reality, then you are harming yourself and others. And if you are harming yourself and others, then you are sinning. Anything short of perfection is a sin. And it doesn't matter how good you are, you're still 
not perfect. This is something that we will get into when we get into the uh, uh, when we get into the Sermon on the Mount. We'll talk about that a lot more. Unless you are willing to admit that the way you are living is wrong, admit that you have sin in your life and that you have sins in your life, sin, capital S, being the sin nature, that you are just prone to sinning, and sins, little s, being those things that you do that are evidence of the sin nature, big S, unless you are willing to accept that, then you cannot take the next step. And again, I go back to the 12-step program. Part of the 12-step program is acknowledging that there is a power greater than yourself. You have to acknowledge that there is, and and they don't take it this far, and that's why I have a problem with current 12-step programs, like Alcoholics Anonymous, like Narcotics Anonymous, like whatever Anonymous, because they are wrong. They water down the message, and because they water down the message, and to the degree that they water down the message, they have a certain percentage of failure. As a matter of fact, the percentage of failure of those 12-step programs tends to be pretty doggone high. And the reason that those programs are pretty doggone, are failing at a pretty doggone high rate is because they water down the message. And the reason that they water down the message is so that they can get more people and help more people. That's what they say. Their intentions are great. It doesn't matter what your intentions are when you look at the results. It says that you have to acknowledge that there is a greater power. No, you have to acknowledge that there is a creator God. You have to acknowledge that there is a perfect. That there is a perfect to which you are imperfect in comparison. You have to use this so that you acknowledge your complete and utter inability to be sinless, to be perfect. You can't do it on your own. And you have to continue to remind yourself of this because, ladies and gentlemen, one thing that we are really good at is lying to ourselves and convincing ourselves that, oh, well, I'm not that bad. Oh, well, it's okay if I do it this much. It's okay if I'm an alcoholic and I just have a couple of drinks every now and then. It's okay if I'm uh, an addict and I just shoot up every now and then. I'm not as bad as so-and-so who's living under the bridge over there. So I'm okay. I've still got my car. I've still got my house. I've still got my family. Yeah, for now. for now. But this isn't limited to people like that, folks, because I can hear some of you out there going, well, I'm not uh, an alcoholic and I'm not a, a drug addict or anything like that. Yeah, but you're addicted to something. You're addicted to something. You're doing something. You're thinking something that you're not supposed to be doing or thinking or saying. You're not perfect. Every mountain is going to be brought low. 
And everybody out there who is perfectly acutely aware of how bad off they are and how they wish they could get rid of it, every valley is going to be filled up. You have to be honest with yourself. You have to be honest with God. If you are not, then you will not be saved. It's just that simple. You will not be saved unless you repent. Repenting just means changing your mind. Instead of thinking, well, this is okay, I'm all right if I do this just every now and then. No, you're not. It doesn't mean stop doing it, because if you could stop doing it, then you would stop doing it. It means repent, understand that what you're doing is wrong. Change your mind and understand that you're a sinner. Don't, don't tell yourself that what you're doing is okay. Don't try to convince yourself that what you're doing is all right. Change your mind. Change your spiritual attitude. Understand that there is a God who is perfect. And in comparison to him, you are not. Just acknowledge that. And then start going through and taking that moral inventory and just pointing out things. This is wrong. What I'm doing is wrong here. This is bad. This is harmful to my life. This is harmful to my relationship with my family or my wife or, or my friends or my father or my mother or whoever. This is harmful to other people. What I am doing is I am living in a manner that is, that is harmful. You have to admit it. So you have to repent. And then you have to confess. Understanding. And if you confess, God is faithful to forgive you. But, and this is something that they teach about the false Christ... If you do not acknowledge that what you are doing is sinful, if you do not acknowledge that you are sinning, if you do not confess to that sin, you will not be forgiven. You cannot be forgiven for something that you do not yourself acknowledge is a sin. And you certainly, your behavior, whatever it happens to be, will not be tolerated and excused and accepted. No. Folks, yes, God is love. God is perfect love. And you cannot have love without justice. And God is perfect justice. You have to realize that. And you have to realize that if you do not repent, if you do not change your ways, there will be consequences. You will be judged. If you want your salvation to be based on your works, then you will be judged according to your works. And the judgment works like this. Were you perfect? No? Then you don't get in. That simple. Are you sterile? No? Then you don't get onto the sterile field. 
That simple. End of story. All right, folks, we're going to leave it there. I wanted to get further. I always want to get further, but I never do because I just, there's so much here. But we will be starting in verse 7 in the next segment. <clears throat> I want to thank you all for listening. Listening, If you like what you heard, please share this out there to people you think need to hear it, to think people you think will want to hear it, and, and to people who need to hear it. Uh, you can catch my videos, which are uh, deal a lot with uh, politics and pop culture through the lens of the Bible, through the lens of Christianity. Um, you can get those videos on uh, BitChute, Odyssey, Rumble.com, and I have a podcast that deals with those things as well that tends to be a little bit more conversational. Um, in other words, I get to, to really expand on you know what I want to talk about. If you're into that, then uh, you can get my podcast anywhere you can get podcasts except uh, Apple, and the podcast is The Doc Bryant Show. Anyway, once again, thank you very much for listening, and I will talk to you all later.